Man, what an what a awesome week coming up as we get ready to celebrate Easter. And, and I've been told this, you know, as we think about Easter next weekend, you do not want to be late. The first five minutes, we got an amazing opening, and, uh, and you don't want to be the one that missed it. So be here next weekend, Saturday or Sunday morning, you know, and, and get, your, get here, get your cup of coffee, you know, before the service starts, get in your space. I promise you, it's going to be uplifting. It's going to be a powerful, powerful day. And as we think about, you know, as we prepare for Easter, and today is Palm Sunday, and, uh, and, and as it, it, we're entering into that last week, uh, some call it Passion Week. Um, you know, it's, that, it's the week coming up with Jesus is crucified. And, and of course, this Friday, Good Friday, and we recognize that. And, and so this week, as we kind of prepare for Easter today, I, I want to take some time this morning to, to talk about the sacrifice of our Savior, the sinless Son of God who hung on an old rugged cross for you and for me, offering his life as a sacrifice for forgiveness and freedom. And see, it's not about what we can do for God. It's about what he has already done, what he has done for us. You know, many religions today, they're about what you can do for God. Or, or what, what you have to do for God. That's what religions, and there are many religions in the world, it's all about do, do this, do that. But Christianity is what set it apart from all religion. Because it's all about what God the Father has done for us through his Savior, through his Son, Jesus Christ. You could say that religion is spelled D-O, do. But we believe that Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. Our salvation was done. It was finished at the cross when Jesus died. And with the resurrection of Jesus, God accomplished his purpose. And all we have to do is receive Jesus into our lives. If you're taking note, Christianity is an understanding that it doesn't start with what you can do for God. It starts with what God has done for you. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not what, what you have to do for God. It's what God has already done. And this morning, I want to challenge you as we talk about today's message, as we get into everything that we're going to talk about today. Uh, by the time we're done, I, I hope that you will see how important it is to submit your life to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and there may be some here today, um, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In fact, you know that. You, you've, been, you've been coming to church. You've been, you've been checking it out. You've been, you've been testing and dipping your toes in, in, the, in the water, in the pool. You've been just kind of dipping your toes in there, just checking out what salvation, what the Jesus thing is all about. And, and, and my prayer is today is that you would jump in, that you would jump in into the forgiveness, into the love of Jesus that he has for your life. And, and, and there's some of you, you have jumped in. You're in the pool. But you're in the shallow end, right? You, you, you got your, you know, your, your floaties on, you know? And you're, just, you're just kind of splashing in the kiddie pool on the side of things. And, and, and you, you're not going deep. 
And my prayer is that if that's where you're at, that you will take off those, those, those floaties, you know, and, and, and jump into the deep end and go all out with God, to go all out with him. My prayer is that you will all experience the, the fullness of joy and the fulfillment that comes when you begin to give your life to the one who has the plans and purposes for your life. And it's something that is way beyond anything you can think, imagine, or ask. He has something that is awesome for your life, and he demands. Our Savior deserves our all. Matthew chapter 26. As we kind of dive into the scripture this morning, we, we begin to see this, this last um, couple of days before the crucifixion. And, 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 and we see in Matthew chapter 26, as a, a kind of, as we start the story, uh, it's a beautiful picture of what, what it looks like. To, to go all in for Jesus, to, to, to take the floaties off and go deep. You know, or, or maybe you're here and you just need to jump in the pool of salvation. And we see the beautiful picture, and we see several stories, we're going to read several things here. And, and the timeline just kind of moves from one thing to another, leading to the Garden of, of Gethsemane here in Matthew chapter 26. But early chapter, in the early part of chapter 26, in verse number 6, I want you to pick up the story. The Bible said that Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy, and while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and began to pour over the head of Jesus. The disciples were indignant when they, when they saw this. They, they were just like, wow, what, what is happening here? And they said, what a waste. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. And Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I'll tell you the truth, wherever the gospel, the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And here we are, 2,000 years later, we're still discussing it, we're talking about it. You know, and, and we don't know the exact value of this jar of perfume, this alabaster jar of perfume. But it was enough to shock the disciples. They were blown away by it. In fact, they called it a waste. It was so shocking that it had to be extremely valuable. This was the most valuable thing that this woman had owned. I would suggest that this alabaster jar of perfume probably represented her life savings. And that's significant. She wasn't just pouring, she just wasn't pouring perfume on Jesus. What was she doing? She was literally pouring out her life to Jesus. She was pouring out her heart to the Lord Jesus. And when I look at this and the application from this story for us, it just has nothing to do with money. I want you to understand that. It's more than that. This has everything to do with your heart. It has everything to do with your heart. When our heart is in the right place, then everything else will follow. Our, our daily decisions, um, our relationships, the priority of our time, our, our faithfulness to serve God, 
You know, I've given and on and on and on. And it's interesting to me how ironic what we see in the very next verse. Here we see this beautiful picture of this woman giving her all, giving her life. A person that we don't know much about. She may have been following Jesus from a distance or she may have been close friends. We don't know much about this woman. But in the very next verse, we see a, a contrast of someone different. Someone that was on the inside. One of the disciples of Jesus. Look at verse number 14. Judas Iscariot, when he saw what just happened, the perfume being wasted in his mind, wasted on Jesus, he was one of the 12 disciples. He went to the leading priest. Remember, the priests, they hated Jesus, the religious people. They were looking for cause to get rid of Jesus, and Judas thought he could be a part of the solution here. And he asked the priest, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver, and from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so you can, it's fair to say that Judas was not all in that Judas had a double life. And, and, and so we see in verse 17 and 20, we don't read this, but in verses 17 and 20, um, as we continue in this chapter, uh, Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, let's get ready for the Passover meal. And this would be the last Passover before Jesus would be crucified. In fact, Jesus would be crucified the next day after Passover, this meal. Uh, so we're less than, we're less than um, 24 hours uh, before the crucifixion of Jesus, and he get them to um, to get the meal ready, and so we they're at the upper room, they're, they're having the supper, they're sitting down, and, and Passover. Remember, Passover was the celebration, and of the freedom for the Jewish people, their freedom from Egypt. It was, it was, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's the way that we Americans celebrate, you know, the Fourth of July. You know, our, our freedom, our independence. Right? And, and, and so the Passover was kind of like their independent day. It was a day that, hey, you know, we've got freedom. You know, God, God deliver us from Egypt. But there's this double picture with the Passover. And, and, and Passover also means that there's a spiritual deliverance. If you remember in our last message series on Joshua, we talk about, you know, right during the beginning of the series, back in January, we talk about coming out of Egypt when they left Egypt across the Red Sea. That was a picture of, of, a picture of spiritual salvation, a spiritual deliverance. And, and, and it was all done because of the, 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 every household in Egypt, every Jewish household, they took a spotless lamb, they would, they would kill it, and they would take the blood and they would apply it to the doorpost uh, of, the, of their house of their front doors, and then that night, the death angel, when they see the blood applied to the door, he would pass over. And as a result of that night, Pharaoh said, get out, get away, leave. And Moses and, and the Israelites, they pack up, and they left to head toward to the promised land. And, and, and so that's what Passover is. And But Jesus, we're gonna see, he can introduce a new idea. A new concept, because the Passover is really a Jewish holiday, but he can open up this idea, this, this supper, in a new way that 
It spans. It crosses over through its line into all of mankind. And we're going to see that he can lay out a picture that he is going to be the final Passover. That he will be the spotless lamb who will be, whose blood will be shed on an old rugged cross. And because of his blood shed for you and for me, we can have spiritual freedom and salvation. And that's why we celebrate communion. It's an opportunity for us to come to the table to remember what he's done for us. That independent, not, not a political independent, but spiritual independence from the bondage of sin. And, and, and so Jesus here, he's meeting with the disciples, and we kind of pick up here at the table where they're having their Passover. And by the way, the disciples aren't picking up on this. They think this is Passover. And for Jesus, he, we can begin to see him making a turn and, 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 and expanding this whole idea of communion and the Lord's Supper. Look at verse number 21. While they were eating... Uh, Jesus said, I, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. And greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? Am I the one, Lord? Is it me? Is it I? And Jesus replied, One of you who had just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. And it's John verse 24, for the Son of Man must die as the scripture declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, teacher, am I the one? And Jesus told him, well, you have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples. He said, take this and eat it, for this is my body. You can see that he, he, he's making a transition, you know, introducing a new way of doing Passover, a new way of doing communion. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In verse 27, he, he took a cup of wine. He gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, the disciples, instead, each of you, if, if you want, underline that or circle it right there in your handout notes or in your Bible. Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, it was confirmed the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And they sang a hymn. The Bible said they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now here's what's so powerful about this passage of scripture to me. Uh, if you will, just picture that famous painting by uh, Da Vinci, the, the Last Supper. You know, you got Jesus in the middle, you got the disciples all across. And it's the 12 disciples around the table. But to me, the powerful thing is not just 11 that drink the cup or take the bread. Jesus, in the story, offers it to all of them. Even to the one who betrays him. 
You know, maybe this morning, maybe this morning you come to church and you feel like you're unworthy to take communion or to go to the Lord's table. But my friend, here's the good news. If Jesus is inviting Judas to the table, then you got a shot, right? I mean, here's the deal. If you're here today and you feel like your world is falling apart, then you're in the right place. You're in the right place. If you feel like you've ruined a relationship or you've made some mistakes or there's this habitual sin that you can't seem to overcome and have victory over and every time you come to, a, uh, to the table, to the communion table, you feel this overwhelming unworthiness to even be at the table, it's because that you have a false understanding of who Jesus is. We think that we sometimes got to get our act together first and then come to Christ. That's like saying, hey, before I get to the hospital, I'm going to get better first. Then I'll go to the hospital. And we say, well, that's crazy. That absolutely makes no sense at all. But the communion table is a place where we come where we acknowledge our sins and we celebrate the salvation that we have in Jesus. We need to understand that there's not one person in this room, including me, that deserves, not one of us, deserves to be at the table. We aren't there because we deserve it. We are there because God doesn't have a love that reacts to how we behave. God's love is proactive. In other words, if you're taking note, we don't have to change for God to love us. His love, it, it changes us. His love changes us from the inside out. He begins to do a work in our hearts and our lives. And from the inside out, we become changed. Become a new person in Christ. You see, if you take a note, when Jesus, when he hung on the cross, it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was love. It was love that kept him nailed to the cross. He wasn't willing to come down the cross because he wasn't willing to let go of you. He had all powers. Right? He had all power. The one that walked on water. The one that turned water into the wine. The one that would heal a leper. Who healed many people. One who raised a, a young boy from, from the dead. He could have, you know, he could have put himself off that cross. He could have come down. He could have done all of that. He had the power to do so. He could have, the Bible says he could have called angels to come down to save him and to rescue him. But he did not. He wasn't willing to let go of you and let go of me. He went and gave his all for you. All for me. Not because we deserved it. Because none of us do. It's because he loved us. And so they go to the Mount of Olives. And right there at the foothills of the Mount of Olives, it's kind of a little bit, you know, as you way up a little bit. There's a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And they get there, and Jesus and the disciples, Jesus knows that his time is coming to an end. He knows that the mob, the religious mob, is about to show up at some point that night. He knows. 
that this was, this was gonna be his last time with the disciples before he crucified. And so he's there, and, and he said, hey guys, just pray. The, the disciples, they're, they're oblivious. They don't know what's happening. You know, so they're, they're getting there, and it's late at night. I'm sure the disciples are like, man, Jesus, we're tired. And they get there, and of course, they are tired. They fall asleep. And a couple of times, Jesus goes back and says, wake up. Wake up. Watch out for me. Pray. And we kind of pick it up here in verse number 39. Jesus went and bowed down with his face to the ground. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not my will. And then we go back down to verse number 42. Jesus left the disciples a second time. He prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Now what is Jesus referring to when he talks about this cup? Now, I, I, I hope you can dial in, because we're going to get to the whole crux of this message here. You're probably looking at the title, so where, where am I going with the title here? We'll get that in just a minute. But what are you talking about? Because once we understand this, I hope that this will give us a fresh perspective on how we take communion. In verse 39, Jesus prays that the cup of suffering be taken away from him. Now, the cup of suffering is also known at the cup of wrath, or, or the cup of sorrow, that symbolizes God's punishment for sin. God's wrath, the cup of wrath. And, and, and Jesus is in the garden and said, God, you have asked me to die on the cross to drink up the cup of wrath, to drink up this cup well, your wrath is poured out on me instead of mankind. Because we all deserve, right, the cup of wrath because of our sin. And Jesus, the sinless son of God, said, I'm going to, you know, God, if there was another way to, t- to, to get around this cup of wrath, if there was another way where sin can't be settled, where sin can't be paid, if there was another way to do this than, than for me to go through the cross, God, if there was another way, let that happen. But God, if that's it, if there's no other way, then let your will be done. I will drink up this cup of wrath. I will take on, I will take upon the wrath of God and put it on my life. And Jesus the good news is that Jesus drank the cup of wrath. That next day they took him on the cross. And they hung there for you and for me. And as he was on that cross, the sinless one, the holy one, became sin for us. He became unholy and took on the wrath of God, the punishment of sin, your sin, my sin, your punishment, my punishment. And he took it all upon him, collectively of all mankind. And he drank the cup of wrath. 
Lord, did that for you and for me. He did that so that we don't have to drink of this cup. We go to a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 51. In verse number 17, Isaiah says, Awake, wake up, rise up, Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of your Lord the cup of his wrath. You who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger, the cup of wrath. You who have drank from the cup of wrath, cause it to stagger, have no purpose. Walk aimlessly in life. If we drink of the wrath of God, we drink in the sins, and we live in the sins of our own filth, of our own mankind. My friend, if I could summarize it first, you don't want to drink this cup, the cup of wrath. But we see an amazing prophecy in verse 21. Isaiah said, hear this, you afflicted one, that's all of us, we're all afflicted. You afflicted one made drunk, but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. God says, see, I have taken out of your hand, you have taken out of my hand, out of all of our hands. The cup that made us stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never have to drink again. See, the prophet Isaiah talking about this cup of wrath and that he's looking forward to a day that Jesus Christ would drink it for all of us so that you and I never have to drink of it again. Now, here's the connection I want to make to communion. This is so important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul who talks about communion, making make a reference to communion. And I don't know if you ever noticed, but he called the communion cup a, a very specific name. Look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Paul says, it's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. The cup of thanksgiving. I think this is just one of those beautiful pictures where you have two cups. You have a cup of wrath, and on the other hand, you have a cup of thanksgiving. And Jesus does this thing where he says, let me drink the cup of wrath to its dregs so that you can drink the cup of thanksgiving. I drink this so that you can drink this. Are you grateful today? Are you grateful for salvation so rich and so free? Are you grateful that he took our place on the old wicked cross? Are you grateful that he drank of this cup that you and I deserve? Part of what catches me in Isaiah, this little phrase, Drained to its dregs. Drained to its dregs. It, it, it sounds almost manly to, 
day, you know, I mean, she kind of got that man dread, you know, almost like a pirate. Got a little bit of Captain Jack Spell, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know. You know, range with dregs. Y'all with me on this, okay? I, I'm not terrible impersonator, but y'all catch me, okay? Uh, just, just, just work with me. You know, drains with dregs. You know, dregs, it's what, here's what the dregs are. It's, what, it's what's left when you have drunk everything in the cup. It's the, it's the remains. It's, the, it's what we call the residue in the cup. And, and, and here's what I want you to get here. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't just sip the cup. He didn't just sip the cup of wrath. He drained it all. The sins of all mankind for you and for me. And so what does that mean, God? Well, I think what it means is that we better drink the cup of thanksgiving to his dregs. To his dregs. Every last sip of it. That's all he wants. That's all he wants from you and from me. Well, we can take this cup and say, thank you, Jesus, for drinking the cup of wrath so that I can drink the cup of thanksgiving. Thank you for drinking the cup of wrath to a dregs so that I can thank you with my entire life and gratitude. I want to give it all back to you. And I did a, I went to a wedding 25, about 25 years ago in Florida couple getting married and the, 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 the pastor was doing the wedding was actually the father of the bride. Karen, I was just still in the back. I don't know if she remembers this or not, but you know, the part of his wedding that decided to do communion, just the two of them, the husband and the bride and groom. And, and the pastor broke the, a little piece of bread and they both took the bread and uh, and then he pulled out these two cups, and it were big cups, glass cups. And he pulled out a little of the juice, had a little juice in a, in a pitcher and grape juice. And, and for the bride, his daughter, he poured maybe that much in the cup. And for the groom, he filled that glass cup to the brim. I thought, well, that, that, I thought that was interesting. Maybe he just got nervous. He just kind of, over, you know, wanted a little, you know. And I, you know, I, I'm kind of, kind of like, you know, not even, you know. And, and I'm just like, okay, what, what's happening here? And uh, he instructed the bride and the groom to, to drink it. And, and they both drank it at the same time. Of course, she got done pretty quick with her little sip in the glass. And so when she put it down and, you know, the groom said, well, you know, that would be appropriate for me to finish, you know, even though he still had a long way to go. Put the cup down. The pastor noticed that she drank all of hers. But he's not done. And so he kind of looked at him. And so poor groom was like looking at him. I was like, oh, okay. And I guess I, I, I'm supposed to drink a little bit more. So he drank a little bit more and, 
It's still, I mean, it's a lot of grape juice. I mean, I like grape juice, but that's a lot of grape juice. So kind of drink a little bit more, and it's still about half full. The pastor kind of looked at him and said, mm. I get it awkward in now. I was like, kind of, what in the world is happening here? You know, and, you know, she's done with hers. I mean, she only had that much, and now he got this whole glass, and pastor's like, Poor Robert, you know, Robert, okay, you know, Robert's a big boy, he's like, okay, I want to finish this thing, and, uh, and I, I watched this thing, and he kind of just flung himself back up, and just gulped the thing down, and then after it was all said and done, he just kind of wiped with his sleeves, you know, kind of wiped the grape, I mean, I see a little grape juice kind of flowing out of his mouth a little bit, you know, wiped it with the sleeve, you know, maybe a little, you know, burp there, I mean, I don't blame him, it's like grape juice. And I thought, man, that was a little crazy, a little awkward. He actually had to he drain it to his dredge. But here's, here's my point. In a few minutes, as we take communion, you're only going to get a little bit. When I have a full glass, very easy to chip it down. But symbolically, symbolically, I hope that you don't just up the cup of thanksgiving. Or just drink it halfway. Our Savior lets see demands all of us. Just like that woman with the alabaster jar of perfume poured out her life. I hope in the next few minutes I hope that we think about us I say, you know, I've been kind of living one foot in the door, one foot out. And he deserves it all. The cup of thanksgiving because he drank the cup of wrath. I deserve the cup of wrath. He did it. But love and our Savior Jesus on that old rugged crawl, drank it all. He paid it all. Drain it to dregs so that we can have eternal life. But touch bow and I close. Maybe you're here today. It says, God, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've been testing the waters of Christianity, just trying to figure it all out. But today I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to get saved. Ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I know many of you have done that, but maybe there's someone here today who's never done that. The Bible says all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And right there in the quietness of your heart, right there in your seat, you can pray a prayer that goes like this. You can pray right there in your quietness of your heart, God hears. It's not the words, it's your heart. And let the heart, and you mean it with your heart. You're not praying it to me, you're praying to God. And say, dear God, today I'm gonna jump in the pool of salvation. Today, I need you in my life to come into my heart 
and be my Lord to save me from my sin. Thank you for drinking the cup of wrath so that I don't have to pay the punishment of sin. You paid it all for me. You paid the first payment, you paid the last payment for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness and salvation. I want to look in, eyes closed, but if you're here today and says, God, I never prayed that prayer, but today I ask Jesus for the first time in my life, I ask Jesus to come into my life. I ask him to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I want to look in, but I'd just like to see who you are. If that's you, will you raise your hand so I can celebrate and say, I ask Jesus to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Anyone in this room this morning? Perhaps there's some of us here, you're in the pool, but you've been on the shallow end of things. You still got your rubber floaties on. You haven't gone deep. And maybe you're here today and says, God, today I realized I've not been given my all. And today I want to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. And if that's you today, no one's looking. I know there were several people this morning that raised their hand at this. I had to question if that's true and said, today I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to go deep with my faith, deeper with him. If that's true, you raise your hand. You raise your hand. See that hand over there. Anyone else? Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for salvation so rich and so free. Help us in the next few minutes as we look back at what you've done for us on the cross. And remember, and never forget what you've done. Help us to drink symbolically. Help us to drink the cup of thanksgiving to its dregs. In Jesus' name, amen.